So from that moment, I started looking more to Italian races, to the history of the Italian cycling, and I get in love no, with, uh, with Italy. Uh, yeah, I have a look on tour a little bit. Yeah, I think to, this year was important uh, to race more at the beginning with Renko to, to know better uh, each one. I think it's important to spend time together because uh, we cannot make mistakes uh, during no. the tour. What do you think? What makes a great climber? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Castelli podcast. In today's episode, we have a special treat for all you cycling fans out there. We are thrilled to bring you some invaluable climbing tips from none other than Mikkel Landa, one of the best world tour climbers and a guy that knows how to ride Grand Tours with two third overall places at the Giro, three Grand Tours stage wins, and he knows how to win Grand Tours with his team, helping Chris Froome to victory in 2016 and 2017. So get ready to elevate your climbing game as we embark on this thrilling journey with Mikkel Landa. Let's dive in. Mikkel, first of all, I would like to wish you a happy birthday. Feliz cumpleaños. 34 years of age. Yes, 34. 34. It's, it's, uh, time is fine. How many years have you been in the, in, in the pro peloton now? In the pro peloton, 14 years. 13 of them, like a world tour rider. Still, uh, yeah, if I look yeah. back, <laughs> it's quite long. It's quite long. Yeah, you started out with Uskatil, and you also yourself, you're from the best country. So it was, I think it was a normal mix, no? A match. Yeah, it's been, uh, I think, a natural, uh, yeah, natural way to become a pro rider, no? Fortunately, we had a perfect uh, team of perfect structure. To become pro riders in those days, we had a development team, Conti team, and then Euskaltel. I think I, I followed the step, the need steps to become pro, and yeah, my, my one day my dream became true. And uh, yeah, then to to feel like a real pro that I I could be a a good cyclist, I think that I realized when I was already uh, in Euskaltel after couple of years uh, being pro cyclist, I say maybe this is uh, my way, no? because I was also studying at the same time. So, yeah, I never been 100% focused on, on cycling. At, at one moment, I need to decide. And I think it was after a yeah, couple of years. How is it to be from the best country and be one of the best in the game, but also you want two of the best country twice, if I remember right. I mean, you must be a national hero in your home area. Cycling in Basque Country is uh, very popular. I think uh, most of us, we are cyclists, no? Uh, some of us, we are riders. Other people is just uh, cyclotourists, no? Not a pro rider or rider, just uh, they love cycling. Other them, they like uh, supporting cycling, no? So at the end, uh, I think it's very, yeah, very, very popular in Basque Country, and everyone like and feel a lot, no, the cycling. So yeah, being a uh, yeah, part of the game in Tour of Basque Country always in uh, special. It must be very special. It must be very special. But also, the uh, the best country is also known from for oh, its, you know, changes in climate because you can have hot summer days to 
very cold and wet days. I think that also strengthens you as a cyclist growing up in such a such a climate. Because today you still live back home from you know where in the best country, right? With your family. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I'm lucky, no. I I didn't need to to move my my place of living. Never, no. I think uh, I find I found everything I need in Basque Country to become a pro rider and still yeah, ride like a pro being there. Uh, we had uh, yeah, enough long climbs, uh, hilly parkours, also flat parkours. And then we have the weather. Sometimes it's wet, cold. But uh, yeah, after spring, I think we have very smart weather. So I think it's perfect perfect area for, for, be, cyclist, for being cyclist. Yeah. No, I definitely, I visited the, the area a few times and, and really enjoyed it. No, I just remember everything apart from the climbs and the rolling landscapes, then also the beauty, the colors, everything was green versus other places we go further south in Spain, you know, it quickly becomes very dry and desert. So, and also, Mikel, a warm welcome back in Castelli and congrats on your two year contract with Sudel Quickstep. Do you still remember last time we met in person? That was six years ago in 2017. Or do you more remember the team Sky Kit? That we came in sponsoring the team with the victory lines. Mm-hmm. It's also, yeah, again, the same year you helped Rumi to his last tour victory. But um, for us, that was a special year, but also your results also in, in general that season were very and pretty amazing. Are you looking forward to getting back into Castelli gear for, for the coming two years? Yeah, I'm very happy not to be again with uh, Castelli Gid. I have very good uh, memories from uh, 2017 with that uh, bike fit. So yeah, I'm really happy to, to wear again and yeah, I feel I feel safe with Castelli again. No, uh, I think it's more or less easy to have a nice uh, summer kit. I think uh, the difference is made uh, in winter kit and yeah, I feel I feel comfortable and safe with with Castelli yeah, now again. Additionally, when when the weather changes to the worst, then it's uh, where the whole fall weather products of Castelli they come in, and it's a product that we keep we keep having requests, as you know yourself, from from also non-sponsored Castelli cyclists from around the world, especially the World Tour. Every time that the weather gets worse, they're always calling us asking for for products if they could buy this or that. So, Mikel. You already touched a little bit on your early years with uh, with uh, how you got into pro cycling. But tell us about how you got into cycling in general. Who was it? Your dad, your your father? Was it someone in your, you know, in your family that gave you that push to to start with cycling? Well, uh, I think uh, I grew up with a bike uh, at home, and uh, yeah, I I used to use the bike to meet my friends. Uh, we were living close between us, but maybe not enough to meet us uh, walking. So we use always the bikes and it was like a, a game, no? just riding the bike. Then uh, in my village was a cycling club and I always saw them and say, I like this, I like racing. And yeah, finally, when I was 14 years old, I I asked to my parents no, to, to join the, the school of cycling. And I started racing and fortunately I found a very nice group of, of friends there. Still, I still have like a, a friends and that's what I, 
take the best of cycling, no? Uh, the group we did. And yes, I think since then I never stopped. Did anyone else from that group turn professional like yourself? No, from from the first years. But no. you're still in contact everyone with everyone today, and you still yeah. meet up. Yeah, meet yeah, up. yeah. We are still yeah friends, like uh, yeah, kids friends. Uh, and you yeah, go for yeah. bike rides maybe once in a while when you're home. You're not racing or yeah, yeah maybe not for maybe bike riding, but uh, yeah, always for take some 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 drinks or yeah. going out for nice. dinner. Yeah, we are still good good friends, best friends. But since you're also from, but no offense, from the older generation of of uh, of the pro peloton you said that now have a few drinks today you see with the younger generation they hardly ever touch alcohol i mean i don't know that many that really touch alcohol anymore but it is nice you know once in a while just have a beer or have a drink and just you know chill with your friends and uh, there's still something that you enjoy yeah i think it's really really nice no i i think Cycling is my life, but uh, I need life also to be a cyclist, no? It so, yourself yeah, a little. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, yeah, we we need some disconnection moments to yeah. and the social aspects it also creates yeah. when sitting yeah. down with friends, yeah. To feel stronger, no, for the next day and fully relaxed. And yeah. Also, because as we know from from studies and from science, that one drink once in a while doesn't hurt anything. I've heard rumors in the actually in the pro tour. I don't know if it's it's true or not. But Alejandro Valverde, once in a while, he will have a beer on the bus driving back to the hotel. Now you've been, you know, teammate with Alejandro. Can you confirm that? Yeah, it's true. It's true. He he took uh, one beer a day when 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 he really wanted. I think uh, yeah, he was super professional. Yeah, we, yeah, look at his Palmares, just like yourself. Yes, yeah, yeah, and how. How many years yeah. he did the high level? Yeah, and he felt that he needed, and he was he was convinced that he was good for gives him. a little bit of extra, also relaxing boost that like, you know, after the recovery shake and everything, you know, you just can have that relaxed moment, enjoying your your beer. So, Michael, growing up, when did you find out that you have a talent for cycling and racing, and especially climbing? Oh. I- Okay, I feel climber since uh, I think since juniors, since juniors, no. Yeah, when I was younger, it was difficult to finish the races because I was always the smallest in the in the bunch, so not easy. But then in juniors, I start to make uh, some difference climbing, no. So I felt like a, a climber, and all, also my idols, they were also always climbers. Who were your cycling heroes? Childhood cycling heroes. Yeah, my uh, my biggest high uh, heroes was uh, Ivan Mayo from Euskaltel. I have also in mind uh, Roberto Eras, and yeah, those kind of climbers that uh, make the difference. And yeah, I remember my days working with uh, Sunia Duval. Also, Ivan was there. Very interesting person. Very nice person. Do you know him personally, Ivan? Or no, no, no. I don't. I don't know him. Myself, I was a big fan of Pantani, like a lot of a lot of other people, of course. But but also, unfortunately, he's no longer here since many years. Uh, Jimenez, that's also a long time ago. What about Carlos Sastre? He didn't uh, transmit nothing special to yeah. me, but I I, I always I appreciate yeah. him like a big big writer. Because, like you said, what it doesn't transmit to you is like what I like to see about Pantani, but also Contador. Contador. 
is like when they're out of the saddle and, you know, do these more explosive accelerations and surprising everyone. I mean, you you knew that when mm-hmm. they were, especially Pantani, when he was, which also something, something I've seen you do often when you're in the drops, you know, it means that there's something on. Is that right? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's the yeah. moment. To <laughs> so you actually move around a lot on the handlebars, you know, doing when you're when you're climbing. I mean, you're up in the hoods. It's more relaxed, just keeping the pace. And and but when you know drops, it means uh, now things are getting serious. Okay. Do you still remember your first race as a professional cyclist, and what was it like? Yeah, remember it was uh, at the Challenge of Mallorca with the Orbea. It was a continental team. Well, with the rain and rainy and cold uh, weather, but I was feeling good. I, I remember I was attacking in some climbs with uh, against the riders from Euskaltel that they were my yeah. my idols uh, yeah. and yeah, other a lot of good riders. They have very good uh, memories from that that day. You always remember your first race or your first races, no? Versus later in your career with some of the bigger highlights, maybe. So. There, there were some of the, the cornerstones in your career, those early steps. Mm-hmm. So You were once quoted saying that the Giro d'Italia is the most beautiful race on the cycling calendar, both because of its demanding route and La Passione dei Tifosi, the fans, passion of the fans. You Also, your career, what I see breakthrough, came at the 2015 Giro d'Italia with two stage wins finishing third overall and winner of the Maglia Azzurra, the KOM Feinberg's jersey. Tell us more about your love for the Giro d'Italia and why do you think it's different to the other Grand Tours? Well, so I, I think I met uh, Giro d'Italia in 2014. I was riding with Astana, but uh, a team from Kazakhstan, but with a lot of uh, Italians members uh, like a staff or also riders so yeah I think that helps to to knew a little bit more no, about the Italian races to have the different feeling so I knew yeah the roads better the tricky sections uh, I have more close the fans I think because yeah, they knew a lot of us so from that moment I started uh, in, uh, looking more Italian races to the history of the Italian cycling and I get in love no, with uh, with Italy. No, it's fantastic. The food is amazing and uh, the scenery is stunning. And then you have also the year, the diversity in the climbs and the climate in May because you can have rain, you can have snow, you can have cold temperatures, you can have everything which is not going to happen at the tour or the world's at there. You know, bad Day when it, we're talking climate will be a very hot day like you have in the Vuelta so which Giro climb is your favorite and why? My favorite oh, uh, difficult to choose one <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, maybe Thonkolan what year? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, 2015 I was feeling super but also 2017 but we did from the opposite way then in 2020 no, in 19, with Carapaz, he won that right. title. I was teamed with him. We did also quite good there. I think it's a perfect climb for me. Very steep, quite long. Do you so, like the climbs? Do you like the steeper climbs? Like with the 
you know, heavier gradient above 15%. I prefer, I prefer that there are climbs that everyone needs to take his pace. Yeah. Going on the wheel is not big difference. So, yeah, I think it's a war between, between each one and himself. So, also here with the steep climbs, what's interesting, especially with you with 13 years as in, the, in the pro peloton and 14 years pro, including also Conti, how have you seen the evolution of bike equipment talking here about the compact gearing which we didn't have 10 years ago skinnier tires a bit heavier bike you know going back and do the song Colan today will let's see not in a race situation maybe because everything is hard when you're racing but in a training will be easy will feel easier than it used to yes exactly now with the wearings uh, we are using you can do the climb you want I mean you can use a compact with a big uh, chain on the back light wheels uh, yeah i think uh, we have bigger choices not to, to to try to do the hardest climb and yeah then on the on the races as always no the what it it makes it painful is yeah. the thing, no? <laughs> it is so yeah i think nowadays we are doing very fast climbs we are doing climbs 20 per hour 25 so I'm still happy because we can find the climbs like Tonkolan or Angliru where the, the speed is, is lower. So what is then on such a big, epic climb like the Tonkolan, Angliru, when, what is then the physical strategy also when looking at some of the other guys when you're playing the game, like pretending not to suffer? Or pretending is is that this mental game? Is that is that something that you played on, or that you guys are playing in when you're in the in the in the high mountains and and you see that people start hurting? Yeah, I, I think most of cyclists we we think that we are all we are the only one suffering. No, you see the others around you and you say fuck, I'm fuck, I'm fuck. But you need to think that also the others are a fuck. No, so yeah, it's always try to. To go longer in the in the effort, no, and every five minutes for sure someone is dropping or something is happening. Yeah, so it's about doing a small small uh, goals, no, uh, in your head to try to go longer and longer and yeah and keep going the, on time. No, I've heard someone told me, and maybe I read it somewhere a long time ago, that sometimes you also reach out for your bidon or the water bottle, just showing that. The other guys, you got extra energy, you know, or is it just an... No, no, just to take a sip from your water uh, bottle while everyone else is really sitting there at the... Uh, yeah, it can be. Uh, because this also shows the other that you got maybe those like few percents extra of... Uh, I don't know if it's something that you don't do that on purpose. No, no, no. Uh, I heard also that when you drink something for two seconds or three seconds, you forgot, forget the, the fatigue. Ah, no? interesting. So maybe, maybe that's yeah <laughs> <laughs> it helps to disconnect yeah so also on a big climb uh, and especially like the song Colan, where only motorbikes are allowed to go up there with spare wheels no team cars how do you approach race strategy and decision making doing critical moments in a race maybe we don't have the team car you got the radio but one thing is that you got the team director who's sitting way behind the front group uh, or in the pack and cannot see what is happening, but 
you have to act on instinct. Is this something that is is often taking place now? Uh, because in the past with no race radio, I think most riders were moving on instinct most of the time and talking to each other. But is this still something that is happening? Because I see a lot of the younger generation, they really stick to the race radio and they don't do anything that's not being told by the DS. How do you see that? I think uh, you need to have the ideas very clear no? before the start. Who is going to help so, uh, someone in case uh, of mechanicals? Who is yeah, the leader? Who needs to be supported every time? And I think it's more or less easy. You know, once that is clear, yeah. no? I think uh, every team we are riding like uh, if we were just yeah. one, no? We need to, you need to keep the goals same and yeah, uh, if someone needs you, uh, help him, no? You're right. So, Mikel, let's talk Grand Tours because also Sudal Quickstep brought you on to be the super domestic rider and helper of Remco who I had on the podcast here earlier this morning. And we all know that Remco will be targeting the tour. He will not do the Giro. Have you reconned already some of the stages or looked on the map on some of the stages? Of- uh, yeah, I have a look on tour a little bit. Yeah, I think to, this year was important uh, to race more at the beginning with Renko to, to know better uh, each one and then be a perfect uh, tandem no, during yeah. the tour. So you would then be also following a little bit his race program maybe for the spring, then go in altitude yeah. training with him in preparation for... Yeah, I think it's important to spend time together because uh, we cannot make mistakes uh, during no. the tour and yeah here on cycling the time time go fast yeah. so before we start uh, better yeah that's right and then afterwards then yeah then coming into the world I mean the biggest biggest race in, in Spain and with your home crowd and everything that's also going to be very exciting and the world has always been known for its very epic climbs so how do you deal with hot weather because that's also part of the La Vuelta you know with 40 yeah. plus degrees 45 sometimes maybe I suffer more than others no because there are riders that, that really like the hot but in general it's more comfortable than the really bad weather no? yeah. even if you are good in yeah. bad weather I think it's more easier to to keep it no the the high temperature but you don't have any difficulty racing in hot weather no, no, no. not really not really yeah what about the worlds because the world championships in Zurich the men's race especially is packed with almost 4,400 almost 4,500 meters of elevation is that also somewhat a race that you will target or is it lower down in your priority list of the season just coming out of the Vuelta I think I'm not really the best rider no, in one day races uh, I'm not really focused no, on the walls because I think it's, it's difficult for me, but it's very hard uh, World Championship this year, and I would like to be there. Also, because if you think about Innsbruck in 2018 with Valverde, I mean, of, mm-hmm. co- of course, there was also one big steep climb there, but yeah. there was also some some big ones uh, at the, at the Zurich course. So, again, mm-hmm. yeah, everything can happen. Yeah, yeah, sure. If you play, you can, yeah. you can win. Yeah, you can be there, not doing a special yeah. race. So. Let's talk about climbing, climbing training. And there are many good climbers in the sport. There are only, but there are only a few great climbers like yourself, 
those capable to climb all the mountains over a three-week grand tour without losing much time to rivals and be able to produce a long winning ball on the toughest slope deep into the race. And also meaning that you can keep consistent also the same numbers that you have in week one in, in the last week of the race. And I think also that's one of the reasons why Remco wants you by his side for also the tour. What do you think? What makes a great climber? What are the skills of a good climber? You have to look at yourself. I think, uh, first of all, genetic. I think, yeah, yeah, every rider we are different. Some of us, we are climbers. Others are sprinters. No, I think uh, each of us, we are different. But yeah, if you have uh, one big part from genetics, and other important thing is that you need to love the mountains, no? You need to love... Um, like uh, you need to be passionate to to yeah. climb to yeah. see one mountain and see and, and think yourself. No, I want to be, I want to arrive to the top. I want to cross this mountain. And then yeah, you need to be lighter. You need to be uh, smooth on the bike. No, trying to be consistent during the climb and not to go too deep at the beginning. Not wasting too much the energy. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And have consistent power numbers, I think, also. Yeah. Yeah. More than yeah, more than power, I think it's more about heart rate, no? Just to keep because if you do climbs of half an hour or one hour, I think uh, yeah, it's more more important focusing in your in your heart rate and your possibilities, your feelings yeah. to arrive to the top quite yeah. fresh. Yeah. <laughs> as fresh as you can be. And that also yeah. comes into play with the power to wait. Uh, because I know also for the 2015 Giro, you had to lose a bit of weight to get in lean and get in shape. Is that difficult for you to keep that race weight for a Grand Tour? It's difficult to get to that point, you know, to your perfect weight. What is your perfect uh, race, Grand Tour race weight? Yeah, around 60, 61. 61. Yeah. And in I the off season, yeah. how high would you usually go? Just a few kilos. I go quite high, 66, okay, 7. Yeah. Is it difficult for you to lose those kilos then after? Every year is more yeah, difficult. I, yeah. I, I, it's the older you get, it's, it's, I think it's normal. Yeah, it's easy to gain, yeah. but yeah. Uh, difficult yeah. to lose. But then, no, I, I, once I focus on the season, I, I start losing. What's your favorite training session for climbing? You have to give a few tips here to all the cycling fans out there. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like uh, start. I live um, from my house. I do a small loop of uh, around one hour, one hour and a half, more or less flat, to warm up a little bit. And then I have two two climbs uh, very close between them and close to my house. One is Orduña, is a eight kilometers climb, eight percent. And then I have another one, five kilometers, six percent, Barrerilla. So yeah, I do once each one, stop for a coffee, then uh, once again, one or two, let's see, and then, and then home. home. How long does it take to do one uh, one climb, like the eight kilometer? Uh, yeah, one of them is 20, 25 minutes, and the other one is 15 yeah. minutes. I like that, that training. Close of home, very nice. And views. you've been doing that since you started, even in your, in your early days riding amateur, yeah, so yeah. you know them, but are you on Strava, Miguel? 
No, no. So we don't even know who has the KOM there, but I'm pretty sure that that <laughs> if you yeah, exactly <laughs> this is your home territory. <laughs> That's nice. So would you then do specific? I assume you do specific training efforts there, like in in intervals. Maybe you would do some FTP. You would go above that. You do small accelerations. How would your mm-hmm. how would your program of the day look like when you hit the those two mountains? At the, now at the beginning of the season, I like a lot doing torque exercises with low cadence, playing with that. So 50, 60 RPMs yeah. or okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I feel more. I have more resistance. And then when the competition arrives, I I used to do more 4020 and threshold those kind of exercises. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen experience your FTP drop? As you're getting older, or is it all more or less always within the same range? When I think it's yeah, more or less the same, or even better. No, I yeah, think okay. Uh, okay. We, we improve a lot in on trainings, on nutrition, yeah, right? And I think maybe it's gone a little bit uh, better. That's good. That's very motivating. Yeah, it's motivating. It's motivating because you see that you improve, but also the the young guys. Yeah. <laughs> That was really young. I mean, that's, that's something yeah. completely new. You know, you're right. Yeah. Well, cycling is changing, but you're still up there with the best. I mean, look at your result at La Vuelta last year. You know, mm-hmm. that was fantastic riding by you. Another so and signing also two years for for the team here for Sudel. It's just uh, shows you your commitment and your love for the sport. Your commitment also mm-hmm. always to go beyond. So also your personal limits. So that's that's good to see. When you go do your efforts, everything is pretty much dialed in, I assume. So maybe you go alone or do you also go in group rides? What do you prefer? Uh, I ride most of the days with someone. Maybe not full day, but uh, yeah, most part of the day. I, I train with, with other people. Uh, most of them, they are not pro cyclists. They are just uh, cyclotourists or friends. Because... Yeah, uh, what I have those two climbs as we spoke before, we have also like a a zero no a lap. We yeah. have a loop of uh, I don't know five yeah. kilometers. But we are there uh, doing laps, and I say, well, okay, I go up, and they wait me down. So when I come back down, I enjoy with I join the group, yeah, down again. Yeah. Then I say I'm going to I'm gonna do another interval. So I go up, they wait me. We stop together for a fast coffee, so This yeah, is nice. uh, This is nice. that helps a lot. I think yeah, that's probably also why you keep keep doing what you're doing uh, because you got the whole support from the local crowd and your family mm-hmm. when you're home mm-hmm. and when you go to races, you're super you're super concentrated and you're in the zone. And I think that's important to balance out a life on the road, especially mm-hmm. for a pro cyclist. So I think that's really it's a very clever way of. Of living yeah. and with you know remain in contact with your friends so that's great doing training of course you use a power meet and you follow it but you also said earlier just like Pantani he always said that he could not race with an SIM he would always move on his instinct and how he would felt with the body because you know it's only the body that can tell but I know that sighting has changed a lot over the last 20 years But you use, of course, a power meter, but you also use the power meter in racing. You look at your power meter doing a race when you sit up there in the front and pull. On a yeah, I look, I look, I think, uh, okay, I cannot 
I cannot say yeah, no because I grow up with a power meter. Yeah, so I think it's it's very helpful not to go not going too, too deep. deep. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah maybe yeah, take off a little bit of emotion on the races, but uh, it, is it is what it is. is. Yeah, but sometimes you do feel maybe you have a little bit more. Maybe your numbers are different. What would you do in such a situation? Would you just give that little bit extra because you have that personal feeling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we are not a robot. No, uh, not all the days are the same. We, you cannot hold same power every day, no, because maybe you didn't sleep well, you didn't eat properly, or yeah. you are tired, whatever, no. So yeah, it's, uh, it's an advantage to know a little bit where you are, no, how much you are pushing. But uh, we are humans, Mikel. Thank you so much for joining on. I know you've got another appointment here in a few minutes. Uh, it was great to have you on. And actually, I'm looking forward, if you're up for it, to have another interview later during the season. But it was definitely great to see you again. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, good luck for the season. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, and again, if you have any questions that is Castelli related or ideas and stuff, you know, just reach out to us through emails, WhatsApp, phone calls, you know, we're always mm-hmm. open for on the fly changes and, and improvements, how to make our clothing better. So that's good. Okay. Super. Thank you, Mikael. Thanks. Thanks to you. And that's a wrap of this week's episode. Stay tuned for another thrilling episode coming your way next week, featuring Ilse Plumas of the AG Insurance Women's Team. Ilse is a young and highly talented athlete who excels in both cyclocross and road cycling. With the cyclocross world taking place in Tabor next week, we thought it would be a great time to talk about cyclocross and to get a little bit of education on the sports so we know what we are watching when we are sitting back and enjoying the worlds on television. So stay tuned for this episode dropping on Tuesday. Until then, take care and ride safe.